we've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? All right, welcome back to the podcast, my friends, and I'm so excited. I have been messing around with this uh, audio for months and months and months, and I think I finally have the issue solved, and maybe we'll even get to throw in some video. So welcome back to the podcast. Here we are getting ready to go into some new episodes. I have some guests coming on the podcast and um, some new things coming down the pike. But today I wanted to talk about deconstruction and um, starting a series really on deconstruction. So the guests that I have coming up are going to talk about some different things in the deconstruction genre, I guess. Um, If you want to put it in that category, we're going to talk about inerrancy of scripture um, and why that's kind of a junk theology and how we can understand scripture better. Um, and we're going to talk about hell. We're going to talk about some, uh, oh, um, atonement theories and, um, et cetera, et cetera, some other good stuff. Anyway, today, what I want to do is talk about a couple of books that I'm reading. Um, today, I think mostly I'm going to talk about this one called Out of the Embers, um, uh, Faith After the Great Deconstruction. And so that one's written by Bradley Jersak. And then another book that I'm reading right now is called Faith After Doubt by Brian McLaren, What to Do When Your Faith Stops Working. Um, I think I'm going to talk more about the faith after doubt in another episode. Um, So uh, today I just kind of want to start the conversation about deconstruction. Um, It kind of has... For a lot of for a lot of Christians, especially evangelicals, um, the subject freaks them out, and they just assume that everybody is throwing everything, uh, you know, the the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, um, and that they're just leaving Christianity altogether and becoming atheists and agnostics. Now, that is true for some people who are deconstructing their faith, and um, for many um, for many evangelicals who are in this place of, you know, taking a fresh look at what they believe and why they believe it. Um, For them, they need to clear everything off of the table and start almost from scratch. Like, what do I want to keep? What do I want to give away? And what do I want to burn to the ground? Uh, And so for some people, they need to be in a season of atheism or agnosticism for a while before they can decide whether or not they want to embrace um, another form of spirituality. And in Bradley Jersak's book, Out of the Embers, he talks about this idea how we are in a season of what what he is calling the Great Deconstruction. So if we think about um, the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, the Enlightenment, um, modernity, postmodernity. Uh, he, he's kind of saying that 50 years from now, 100 years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to call this um, season that we're in, pro- basically from mid 
mid-1980s to now, the 2020s, <laughs> um, that, which will probably actually carry on for a few more decades. But this is what he is calling the great deconstruction and that we're seeing um, Christianity enter into um, a, a pretty profound shift similar to what we would have seen in the Reformation, um, similar to what we would have seen 500 years before that, and then 500 years before that. Um, it does seem to be that about every 500 years, there's a pretty major shift in um, what we would call Christianity. Uh, and, um, you know, thinking about what we might call classic, I want to call it classic Christianity. I think that is a safer word choice than um, traditional Christianity because um, most people, I think, today would associate uh, the idea of, tra of traditional Christianity as um, evangelicalism. And so I want to, but I want to use the phrase classic Christianity because it really brings in the idea of the early church, um, the Catholic church, uh, as well as our more mainline uh, Protestant churches. Um, and that we're all really going through um, a deconstruction, but evangelicalism in itself is being profoundly affected. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why, if we look at um, this book by Bradley Jersak, but then also Faith After Doubt, and then uh, another book I'm reading right now called God Breathed, um, and some of the things that Zach Hunt has to say. So there's a lot of elements that are going into um, this great deconstruction. It's There's not one thing that brought us to this place. Um, there's a variety of things um, that have brought us to this tipping point. But it made me think about um, a class that I took in my undergrad, and we were talking about adult developmental stages. Um, and it used to be, you know, really back before the 1970s, um, once you hit about 25, um, so, you know, scientists, uh, researchers, sociologists, whatever, they all had this idea that we have reached our peak and there are really no more um, developmental stages in adulthood. You know, now when you hit the thing about when you turn 25, roughly around that age is when the frontal lobe is fully developed. And, and so their idea was that you pretty much stay there uh, until your senior adult years and then you start to go into decline. Um, you might have uh, a midlife crisis where there's some, uh, you know, a shift in what you think and what you believe. But for the most part, once you hit 25, it was done. Now we know through more recent uh, research, uh, advances in science and technology, that the brain is very much uh, malleable. Um, we understand, uh, you know, neurologically our brains can be changed um, as we study things like um, meditation uh, and other uh, other scientific breakthroughs. We recognize that uh, neuroplasticity um, is a reality, that our brains continue 
to change and uh, have the ability to change and be changed. And so, um, in it, so what we have found, especially, like I said, since about the 1980s, 1990s, is that we recognize that adults will continue about every seven to 10 years to have some kind of an adult life transition, um, especially as technology speeds up. We really see that every seven to 10 years. What will happen is that you will, hopefully, if you're continuing to grow and mature, um, you'll there will be a reevaluation of what you believe, a reevaluation of your of your values, and um, and then those things will shift and change. And basically, what was important and valuable um, to you in your twenties is not necessarily going to be important and valuable to you in your thirties or your forties or your fifties uh, and beyond. And and we see that, I think, happening collectively in the evangelical church. People are, as they're understanding um, and have access to more and more information, they're beginning to ask questions about their faith, ask questions about their values. Uh, are these values beneficial or are they harmful? Are they, harm are they beneficial to me and my family or are they harmful to me and my family? Are they beneficial to my community and the people around me, or are they harmful to the to my community and the people around me? And I think that that is um, that that should always be the case, especially for people of faith. Especially when we read the Gospels, we see Jesus uh, asking questions and challenging um, the beliefs of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leaders of the day. And saying, hey, um, are these things helpful or are these things harmful? And maybe there's a, a, a better way for us to understand um, these, uh, these beliefs and these uh, aspects of our faith that we hold on to. Maybe some of them we just need to actually get rid of. So pretty radical. Jesus was, uh, you know, quite the radical of his day. I think we forget that. Um, we... We read the Gospels um, post-resurrection, and we forget about how significant his teachings were in challenging um, the order of the day. Um, and so much of that applies not just to today, but it really applies to the evangelical church. Unfortunately, rather than us being different from the world, we have adopted um the uh, the ways of the world, in particularly when it comes to power and authority, and um, you know drawing drawing boundaries and keeping people out and other people in, which is definitely not what Jesus had in mind. Um, and it got me thinking about my own faith journey. Uh, I did not grow up in the church, and I th I think my I think my testimony is on this podcast somewhere. If not. channel. Anyway, um, you know, I, I didn't grow up in the church, became an atheist in my uh, teens and early 20s, and then had a radical um, faith encounter with God and became a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And 
you know, in those early years, you're learning so much and taking in so much that there is nothing really to deconstruct because you're building a foundation of your faith. But I remember sometime around maybe 2008, 2009, and, you know, I was taking classes towards ordination, um, finishing my undergrad work. And one of the things you do is you're forced to ask questions. You're forced to ask the deep questions about your faith. And I remember reading three books back to back. Um, I've talked about this before, maybe in the podcast, if not somewhere else, probably a sermon or something. But um, uh, I read Blue Like Jazz by Donald Miller, Velvet Elephus by um, Rob Bell, and then The Shaping of Things to Come by Alan Hirsch and Michael Frost. Those three books really began um, a shift, a paradigm shift in my faith and somewhat some I would I would say there was deconstruction that took place I I looked around and I saw you know this is not some of these things that we're teaching and these beliefs that we're holding on to and these values are not in line with the gospels and it really that season of deconstruction really became the catalyst for me to eventually plant a church um, now, as we are in 2023, and me, like the rest of you who are listening, uh, we've been through a global pandemic together. Uh, we've had, uh, I and my family have had some personal crises with deaths and other life transitions, um, and me preparing to go back to school for graduate work, all of, the, and then also some um, situations in my denomination that, uh, and, and people that I trusted, um, not living up to, um, that, the level of integrity I expected them to. And it really forced me into a new place of deconstruction. And when you find yourself in a place where the people you trusted and the people you respected um, that you can no longer trust them and you have lost your respect for them, it causes you to start questioning everything about your faith. Um, you know, the person who I got my call to ministry is, and more specifically my call to preach under, uh, you know, had a significant moral failing and lost his credentials. And, I, you know, so then you begin asking yourself, man, did I actually, was that the spirit that was, you know, because like I remember him preaching and me going to the altar and crying and telling my prayer partner, God's calling me to be a pastor and I don't know if I can do this and, um, and all of those things. And I can't help but to wonder, was that the spirit or was I responding to emotionalism, right? Was God really working through this person? Um, or, or what? And so I think if I, anyway, I'm still deconstructing that. I am still asking the question, searching my heart. I think at the end of the day, there are things that I say, yeah, I still, I still have a call to ministry. Yeah. God was working in spite of, um, this, the people around me who were flawed and imperfect. And 
but it but it it challenges you it challenges the things that you believed it challenges your values and it and it causes you to step back um you know even with some things that have happened in the last year to 18 months uh, i find myself saying wait a minute you know i've been playing by the rules and what did it get me right um maybe I've spent all too much energy trying to be what everybody else has wanted me to be instead of being the person I'm supposed to be. And if playing by the rules doesn't, you know, if playing by the rules and being what other people want me to be at the end of the day is pointless, right? Um, then I might as well uh, follow my intuition, intuition and the things I really believe that God is calling me to do. So, And it started me down a journey of deconstructing my faith again. Um, What values do I want to keep? What values are no longer helpful? What uh, values are um, things that need to be burned to the ground because they are not helpful and they're actually hurtful and harmful to me, my family, and to my community. Um, And so... uh, And so I started this journey, which, you know, I'm not the only person. Um, There's lots of people around me. And most of the people that I know who are deconstructing their faith or who have already gone through that place, um, they went, it was very lonely. They went through it um, mostly because they were afraid. They were afraid to say, here's where I'm at and here's where I'm struggling and and I, I can't do this part anymore, or I can't do that part anymore. Um, be, and which I completely understand, because I will tell you right now that on my own district, uh, I could probably count on one hand the number of pastors that I would trust. Um, of course, here I am on a podcast telling you all of this stuff. But, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm at a place right now where well, I have nothing left to lose. Um, you want to take it all away? I don't care anymore. Uh, and so I would rather be here sharing this with you so that you know there's a safe person out there that if you need to text somebody or call somebody um, or have coffee with somebody that I am here and I'm a safe person and I don't give a rip um, where you're struggling. It's fine. Um, and I, I, you can trust me to keep your confidence. Uh, so... In Bradley Jersak's book, he highlights several different people who have gone through this. Um, and, uh, oh, he calls them, he calls them the seven sleepers. Um, I'm not going to go through all of them, but some of them you would be familiar with. Probably if you, if you're on this podcast, you've, you're probably familiar with some of these people. Uh, but one of course would be St. John of the Cross and his dark night of the soul, um, But I think a lot of the mystics, a lot of the desert mothers and fathers, it's exactly what they were doing. That's why they were out there in the desert, because they're like, people suck. (laughs) I need to find some space so that I can actually hear God again and figure out what it is that I believe. Um, And uh, of course, then you have people like Voltaire um, and Nietzsche, who, of course, would have gone down the atheist route. Um, but then you have people like Kierkegaard, uh, who, you know, in the age of reason, 
um, his his faith took on um, this aspect of reason, like it's reasonable for me to follow God. It's reasonable for me to believe in Jesus. And I think it's kind of funny that, or ironic, that here so many of us evangelicals are um, questioning things and saying, this stuff that we're doing and these things that we're believing and these things that we're teaching as evangelicals are not reasonable. They do not make any sense. And then other evangelicals who would be much more heavily a fundamentalist are saying, but you just have to have faith. So I don't know, maybe we just need to uh, pull the uh, Kierkegaard card and say, uh, you know what, I'm going to take a page out of Kierkegaard's book and be like, yeah, this makes a whole lot, whole lot more sense. This is much more reasonable. And of course, I've talked about how I'm uh, part of a Wesleyan holiness denomination. Uh, some people say quasi-fundamentalist, but I'm, I'm holding on to the Wesleyan holiness portion of it for dear life. And, um, you know, we would, we would reference the Wesleyan quadrilateral. So we, of course we have scripture, um, church tradition, uh, reason, and then, uh, experience. And I, I really feel like the evangelicals who are deconstructing, a lot of them have taken a look at the Wesleyan quadrilateral and they're like, okay, this is not in line with scripture. This over here is not in line with church tradition. This over here is not in line with reason. And this over here is not in line with experience. Um, and yet we're, we receive pushback uh, and saying, you just have to have faith. Well, <laughs> um, I don't know. I think all four of those together is what makes up our faith. And that's not to exclude the mystery of God. I actually feel like those of us who are deconstructing have actually given God more space to be mysterious. And we've embraced the mystery of God rather than trying to... Um, force God into something that we can measure and touch. And, um, yeah. So, um, anyway, this is, uh, this is the place where I'm at. This is where so much of those in our culture are at right now. And this is the season for Wesleyan, uh, I'm going to say Wesleyan Arminian, I, I want to say Wesleyan holiness, but I don't know. Sometimes that wigs me out because it just leans, it shouldn't, but it leans too much towards fundamentalism. But I think this is the era of the Wesleyan. Um, we are so tired of fundamentalism, which is often birthed out of the reformed tradition. Um, we are so tired of fundamentalism that has encroached upon Wesleyan theology. And the world is like ready for this Wesleyan perspective. Um, and I don't know, we just haven't quite figured that out yet. If we would just lean into it a little bit more, I, I think the church overall would be doing a lot better. Um, it's, it's not a perf it's not perfect. 
it's not without flaws, but it's definitely a better, uh, a better presentation and a better um, option in following Jesus uh, than fundamentalism is. So um, these are some of the things we're going to talk about. If you are wanting me to dig into a particular um, aspect of deconstruction, feel free to DM me or text me if you have my cell phone number. Um, you can find me, I don't know, I'm pretty much on everything, except Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. Um, so send me a message. But we are for sure going to talk about uh, the inspiration of scripture. We're going to talk about um, hell, and we're going to talk about um, uh, atonement theories. <laughs> uh, since so many people think that um, penal substitution is the only one that's, a, that's credible out there. Um, no, actually, penal substitution is pretty young, and there are um, there are a lot more to choose from, and I think a lot more uh, palatable um, ones that don't have as many holes in them, ones that won't let you down when things get really hard, uh, ones that don't basically tell you 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 suck and you're an awful person, um, but uh, offer you hope and and um, understanding that God is love and love is his essence first and foremost and from that love flows everything else um, but anyway maybe we'll have a guest on to talk about the creeds as well so that's what I have for you today thanks for joining me and I'm excited about this series um, also um, one last thing. I'm getting ready to start a new podcast. And this one, so this one will continue. This is her story. We'll continue uh, along this idea, uh, probably mostly interviews and um, resources for clergy, whether you're new clergy, veteran clergy, or beginning to uh, just answer that call to ministry. Um, but then the other one is called, uh, and that's what she said. And that one's going to be focusing on faith and spirituality. But I'm going to dig into quite a variety of faith and spirituality. So it will not be exclusively Christian, although most of it will be, of course. Um, but I'm going to dig into some other things, uh, other spiritual aspects as well. So if those kind of things wig you out, probably not the podcast for you, but um, anyway, that's what I have for you today. Thank you so much. And I appreciate all of you as listeners and I hope you have an amazing day. We've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? <laughs>